Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing of good economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info at marketplacerisk.com and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Al. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Platform Podcast. Today, I am very pleased to welcome one of our advisory board members here at Marketplace Risk, and that is Craig J. Lewis, who is founder and CEO at GigWage. Welcome to the podcast, Craig. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm um, really pleased to chat to you today because I know particularly for the gig economy, the last couple of years have been a really turbulent time and it's been really interesting to watch gig wage growing and, and thriving during this period. But first of all, I'd love to hear a bit more about what you do and, and how you came to be doing it. So can, can we have a bit of a founder story from you? Sure, sure. Happy to share. Yeah, I um, actually am a longtime uh, payroll and payments technology guy. Um, I kind of joke that I fell in love with helping people get paid uh, many, many moons ago, maybe like 2008 or so when I worked for a little small payroll company called ADP. Um, and I uh, sold their first cloud-based product and fell in love with the democratization of getting people paid and have seen every type of payroll you could imagine. But somewhere around 2014, um, had the uh, entrepreneurial bug and decided to start a company. And it was this company and spent a couple years doing something a little bit different in payroll. And then we pivoted to the gig wage model in 2017. And so what we had uh, realized was that Uh, Everyone in the gig economy was focused on getting technology and services to the gig workers directly um, with good reason. Uh, Uber had kind of reached maturation, Lyft, you know, kind of a lot of the sharing economy companies like Airbnb, et cetera. But no one was really focused on the tools and technologies that the businesses needed to be able to support this type of workforce. Um, And so GigWage was really launched with the idea to help provide technology to the businesses responsible for paying these people Mm -hmm. so that those businesses could pay them in a modern way and be in compliance as well. And so today, GigWage is a, in its most simplest form, a payroll company for the gig economy. Um, But we're we're B2B to C. And so all things payroll, payments, banking and compliance for the companies as well as the workers. So did you feel that the focus really was on the gig worker and helping them to you know manage this way of working whereas nobody was really looking to the business owners that wanted to use them and was that the kind of the the problem that you you felt that you were solving exactly and so what we saw was like in the the companies right if you're again everyone loves to talk about uber or lyft or some of the bigger players uh in the u.s particularly Um, they were, you know, the company, but there were no service providers that were really focused on the companies other than the, you know, the large technology platforms. And so 
Yeah, our whole goal was like, what are, what what do we do with the ten people responsible for paying the ten thousand people, right? Like, what about the HR person, the accounting person, the operations person, the finance person? What challenges are they running into because they're using technology designed for a different type of worker, right? They're using mm-hmm. technology that's just kind of been in place for the last hundred years. So, although we can get instant payments and cards and bank accounts and somewhat insurance type products to these workers directly. Well, I'm a, I'm an individual. I don't want to manage multiple platforms, multiple technology, multiple invoicing systems, right? So why not move that up the stack to the companies and put them in a position to be able to administer this stuff in a modern way? And so that thesis of we all want to help the gig worker and the, and the, the independent worker, but how we do it at gig wage is by going technically by going through the companies first Mm-hmm. And then the workers are the beneficiaries of all of that technology. And I suppose in a way, the sort of shop front of the gig economy is the the Ubers and the Lyfts that we're all very familiar with. But what what else is is out there and, and what other kind of companies do you yeah. help? Because, it, you know, people do have that association and they don't necessarily think beyond it. But there's much more to it than that, isn't there? Totally. Most of the people we help, the companies we help and the workers that um uh, they pay, don't consider themselves gig workers. They don't mm-hmm. identify as that, right? And so we do a lot in the real estate industry, in the insurance industry. Um, we see, you know, a lot in childcare. Um, we see a lot in hospitality and education. And what this really is, a gig economy is the sexy terminology, but it's independent work, right? Non-traditional alternative work. And that's the vast majority of the quote unquote gig economy, if you're trying to bundle it all in one thing. And so, you know, we laugh because I say we pay Santa Clauses during the holiday season because they're independent workers. Uh, (laughs) You know, we pay nurses, we pay therapists. And when I say we pay, we help our customers and companies pay those people. And so, yeah, the vast majority of independent work actually isn't being performed by the sexy technology venture backed companies that we've all kind of known to grow, love and hate. It's the traditional companies that are what we call, you know, independent worker dependent. Right. And so Mm -hmm. that's where GigWage really um, thrives is because we're able to bring Uber like technology to more traditional companies. So inspectors and adjusters and appraisers and, you know, all of these different types of work that are being done independently and not tied to any one particular company. And presumably the benefit for the company there is that they have something that they maybe wouldn't be able to set up themselves, that would be expensive, that would be complex. Yeah. Um, And so you're kind of solving that with a a kind of presumably a sort of almost a plug and play type version of, of something that they wouldn't, you know, really be able to manage to afford normally. Absolutely. We always talk about out of the box, right? And so you get Uber-like technology right out of the box. So even if you don't have Uber's balance sheet or world-class developers, you can work with gig wages technology to solve a lot of those problems. And it's not only just the efficiencies that we bring to your operations internally as a business, but what we've also found is it helps companies be more competitive. So if as a worker, if I'm used to getting paid instantly and on demand and you know, uh, onboarding quickly and, you know, um, being uh, compliant immediately. That's where I'm going to go do the work. And so if your company is paying slower or, you know, has cumbersome technology or it's difficult to get up and going and up and working, I'm going to go to the place that's easier. Right. 
So GigWage also, in, in addition to streamlining your operations, helps you be more competitive for these types of workers. So I noticed on your website when I was having a nose about that you talk <laughs> about the 1099 or 1099. Ah. I just I don't know what that means. And you, ah. and you just tell me. <laughs> that's a U.S. term, right? right? So that's an IRS compliance thing called the 1099. And so it's a type of uh, tax form and employer employee identification. Oh. So we have two types in the U.S., uh, primarily a W-2 worker, which would be considered what's like a traditional worker. They work for a company. That company takes the taxes out, uh, helps pay the insurance, provides benefits. And typically that W-2 worker is tied to one company. Then we have the gig wage world of the 1099 worker. And these are independent workers in the U.S. And that's how they're classified uh, from a tax perspective with the Eternal uh, Revenue Services, right? So the IRS... Um, and so, yeah, that's a classification thing right. unique to the U.S. Okay, so the translation into into sort of UK would be um, a that would be a paye person that's pay as you earn and, and Bingo. yeah, and then it would be a self employed individual. They would probably call it who does their own self assessment um, tax return, and that's that's who you're talking to really. Which Bingo. yeah. Okay, so that's um, that's interesting. And what I'm finding here is that you mentioned 2017 as as the year that you, you know, you branched out into the the gig workers. But you really have must have seen a real uptake in this 1099. You say that, don't you? Rather than 1099, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 1099, 1099 um, workforce. In sort of, you know, if, if we're looking out on the graph, would you see um, a sort of slow growth? And then it does the graph sort of when pandemic hits, does is that shooting up in the air? What does that graph looks like look like? Because you must have more people, I'm imagining, now since 2020. Yeah. So actually, probably a little earlier, pre-pandemic, there was a, a pretty significant growth because of a couple of things. One is mobile technology, the ability to push a button and do work. Um, and do that work independently across multiple platforms. That happened pre-pandemic. Um, also, you know, millennials and Gen Z being the largest generations in today's workforce um, cumulatively. And so people want to work when they want to work, how they want to work, where they want to work, and independent work uh, allows for that. So there's there was already a really significant growth happening pre-pandemic. But yes, in most sectors, the pandemic also accelerated it even more. Uh, our top industry is transportation and delivery services. And so we saw a phenomenal spike uh, in that particular industry. And so, yeah, COVID was definitely an accelerant for uh, the gig economy and independent work. And, you know, gig wage has been a beneficiary of that for sure. Mm -hmm. But when you, we talk about the growth of the gig economy, you know, it doesn't come without problems. And totally. what what else have you seen, you know, kind of bubbling up through the pandemic with this shift? I, in, I mean, obviously, businesses, you know, are coming to you because, you know, they have the problem that they need to solve, where they need to pay this workforce. But what else do you think um, is coming out of it that's, you know, maybe problematic for for business owners? Yeah, I think, you know, classification in the U.S. is a big topic, right? I mean, we're not just in the U.S. It's actually a global conversation. Like, are these workers actually independent of these platforms and organizations? And, um, you know, how should they be legislated? 
um, that's a thing that, uh, you know, a lot of the businesses are, mm-hmm. are, you know, trying to keep a keep a pulse on. And it's very gray right now. And in the U.S., it varies from state to state. And obviously that varies from, you know, kind of country to country. And and it also varies from court to court, depending on how high up to the courts you go. Uh, and so there's a lot of gray confusion around how these workers should be classified, which then has a long tail um, um, number of concerns that kind of follow that, depending on how workers are classified. Right. And, you know, um, how do we think about the social safety net of services that these workers need? Mm-hmm. Are they earning enough to you know, kind of have a basic uh, at least minimum way of life? Um, are they able to pay their bills? Do they have the protections that they need? And so these are all very big conversations. We're, with the growth of the gig economy, we see those things highlighted more and more mm-hmm. as well. And does it make it more difficult in the U.S. for you operating that these problems and, and the problems that you're solving with gig wage might vary from state to state? How do you manage that when as you grow? Yeah, so they definitely manage from state to state. For us, we try to keep the eye in the U.S. specifically, and and you know we're also eye in international expansion as well. But in the U.S., we try to stay um, aligned with federal law um, because typically federal law supersedes uh, state law, uh, and a lot of these companies um, that are operating at scale operate across multiple states. Um, and so, and and you know, again, it's very gray right now, and so it's difficult. But what we've also found is gig wage being 100% focused on independent workers, 1099 workers, gig workers, also helps bring some clarity to a lot of this because they're managing their workforces in separate systems, in separate ways with separate processes. And so companies are starting to look at us as a way of delineation between the types of workers they have in their organization. And so some of the confusion has actually also been helpful for gig wage uh, although we want to continue to have conversations to bring more clarity to it as well and work with policymakers on that front. Mm-hmm. And tell me about your team and your growth as well, because you, you hinted at international um, expansion there. But just in terms of what you've actually managed to achieve in the U.S., presumably what you're doing with, as a technology company, you know, you, you can be anywhere depending on where the business is. Is that right? Yeah, totally. So interestingly enough, before the pandemic, GigWage as a company internally, we've been a remote first team since day one. Um, and so our com- our employees are actually scattered uh, all over. Um, we're about a little under 40 workers now, 30 full time and about 10 contractors ourselves. Um, and so we're spread out across a, you know, a number of states uh, and countries. And then our customer base is in all 50 states we in U.S. territories as well. And so we work with companies and contractors um, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, our top markets are actually Texas and California, interestingly enough. Um, but yeah, we've, we've seen tremendous growth. Like we were, we do a lot with the little, right? We, we let technology drive a lot of our processes. And so we've been able to reach a lot of scale, even at, you know, 40 people. Um, we, we, we service every industry, every state, you know, we cover pretty much every major city uh, in the U.S. and, like I said, U.S. territories. And with the tech itself, I mean, I'm not sure, how techy are you, Craig? I mean, it's very, 
Very right. So you are is you're not one of these you know not a CEO that's kind of like you know loves and lives your tech but lead, needs somebody else to 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 actually understand it. This that's brilliant. Um, yeah, so- but I, I will be clear. I am a non technical founder, uh, so this is interesting, right? So I love it, uh, but I definitely have a, a an in depth understanding of our technology, but I don't mm-hmm. code. So mm-hmm. I'm not actually coding, but I see it. I can architect it. I have the vision for it. I can consume mm-hmm. it, understand it. I, we can talk about how to integrate it into any other platform, um, how we build it, how we think about those decisions. But I don't actually code, um, which some people like that. Some people don't. <laughs> well, I, I don't either. And um, yeah, I'm just very impressed with people that um, that can. But um, in terms of developing that tech, what have been some of the challenges? Because obviously at Marketplace Risk, we talk about, you know, the trust and safety um, and the, the risk management side of it. Have there been challenges um, along the way making it um, watertight in that sense? Yeah, I think as a startup, right, you're always you're moving fast, you're learning, you're innovating. And so you're always discovering a lot of things along the way Um, from the beginning. um, Since we launched GigWage, we've always talked about building trust into the code. Right. And and, and coding our platform with trust in mind, uh, but also with empathy in mind. And so I know that's a pretty abstract kind of thing to say, but. One of the biggest challenges for us, though, as we continue to grow and build and innovate is, you know, when you move with speed, you don't build everything. Um, oftentimes you integrate and you partner uh, and you use different APIs in the market. And so <clears throat> making sure uh, because this infrastructure to kind of provide this service at the business level hadn't previously existed, making sure that not only are we safe and secure, but the vendors that we bring to the table uh, have compliance and security Uh, aligned with the types of industries we service. And so that's been a thing like, right, managing vendors and, uh, you know, third party APIs and making sure all of those uh, bases are covered uh, so that our customers can uh, have a safe experience on our platform. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I think quite a lot of the time it's the it's that trust and safety and that reassurance that you know is so necessary when you're creating something that is you know disruptive and and a bit different isn't it because otherwise people are scared of it and you know and and they kind of they they need that reassurance don't they absolutely especially being a startup company right like you know we are we're not the big bad wolf that's been around forever uh we you know people are still discovering our brand People are still discovering our mission. And so we, we've got to go above and beyond to make sure people trust our platform mm-hmm. uh, and feel safe using it. Do you have direct contact ever with the actual individual users? Do you get feedback? I mean, because you're dealing with obviously the businesses themselves, but, you know, do, do you ever sort of hear the kind of end results of this and, and get sort of heartwarming stories from, from people? <laughs> oh. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. So we're what we call B2B2C. So we we provide our technology and services to businesses, so B2B. But by default, because these are independent workers, we also uh, provide technology and services to the workers themselves as well. Uh, Oftentimes, currently only through the business, uh, but we've got stuff coming out next year that'll be direct. But yeah, we get tons of feedback from the workers that get paid uh, via gig wage. great feedback on how to improve our product as well as how we've been helpful. I'll give you a great story about there was a gentleman in a later age gentleman, older gentleman who was driving for one of the delivery platforms we service. And 
had ran into an issue where uh, he was in need of gas to do his next delivery, uh, but couldn't, uh, you know, figure out how to get his bank account hooked up to GigWage and couldn't receive his payment from his last delivery. Uh, and he was able to get in touch with our customer service department. He was literally crying, right? Because he was trying to get gas to do his next delivery so that he could make money and was having a hard time getting the money he needed to get the gas. And, you know, we were able to, within minutes, um, help him get his bank account hooked up, send him a di his direct deposit and his instant payment, allowed him to get gas and do his next job. And he was just so appreciative and thankful for that. What we found is these workers oftentimes, again, have been ignored and neglected, oftentimes because the technology doesn't exist to get them their money when they want it, how they want it, where they want it, or the user experience uh, doesn't suffice uh, the moment. And so we see stuff like that all the time where we're just able to help real people in real situations get access to their money in a non-predatory way. Uh, and, and it's been really powerful, powerful for us, and we continue to you know, build technology to help improve those experiences at scale mm -hmm. because I suppose it's like certain things that evolved and and other bits needed to catch up and that's what you're kind of doing isn't it sort of filling in the gaps because otherwise people like this guy you're talking about sort of fall through the cracks and that's not fair is it exactly yeah and oftentimes you know there's an empathy there that companies in the market has to have for these workers but other times there's really just a technology roadblock, right? Um, the tools, the companies don't have the tools to, to administer um, services in a modern way, the way people kind of expect to get paid. And as gig work has exploded from, you know, just independent work to push a button and get work, people expect to push a button and get paid. Well, the technologies inside of, you know, the organizations that uh, supply that work they don't they don't operate that way. They operate in you get paid once a week, uh, every two weeks, once a month, every 60 days, every 90 days. And so what happens is if the worker doesn't have some means to get their money instantly, the company doesn't have a way to get it to them. And so that's where GigWage steps in and make sure everybody has the tools they need so that we can operate like it's, you know, 2021 and not 1981. Mm -hmm. And just really looking ahead, Craig, because I know you, you're you very vision-led. What What is your vision for GigWage? And, and also more broadly, how do you hope to see, you know, the, the gig economy itself evolve? Sure. Yeah, our vision is pretty simple. We Our mission is to bank the gig economy, not just the gig worker, but the actual gig economy in that we should be able to finance and fund what we call the entire future of work. Payroll is our way in, helping companies pay people. It's a wedge and gives us a really unique uh, vantage point. But ultimately, we think we can bank the entire gig economy. And in the pro and that's a modern bank, maybe not how you would think of it in a traditional bank sense. But in for the gig economy, what I think will be a platform to do is help bring that financial safety net to these workers all over the world, meaning all of the things that have been based around traditional employment uh, everyone should have access to it, not just people that have worked the old way the last hundred years, but how do you get all of the financial services you need for the next hundred years for the way people work now? And so we want to continue to kind of carry that flag, uh, build technology to support that mission and make sure we drive economic empowerment to the companies and the workers themselves. 
That's brilliant. It's really, um, just really inspiring, Craig. And I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. And the time has raced by, so I mm-hmm. will um, let you get on with building this um, even further. And it's um, it's been brilliant to have you on as a guest. And I, thanks for telling us about GigWage. And thank you for being part of the Marketplace Risk community as well. No, thanks for having me on the podcast. And I love Marketplace Risk. It's awesome. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.